lo- I do love this church and grateful for the opportunity to come again and be a part of the meeting. I'm, um, I would just come and clean the toilets, and I mean that. And if you need me to do that, I'll still do that. But to, to be able to share a word is such a blessing and an honor. I want you to take your Bible, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. At the first of this year, you preachers can identify with this. When I go out and preach meetings, I, we would call them sugar sticks. We, when I, in times past, you can call me shallow, immature if you'd like. But I would set certain sermons aside and say, now that one will work in other places. But the Holy Spirit matured me this year, and he's told me whatever I preach at the church will work anywhere else. And wherever my heart is, that's what I'm supposed to preach. And so for some times I've been preaching through the book of 2 Corinthians, and we went through 1 Corinthians and now 2 Corinthians. And I want to give you what's in my heart this evening. Would you stand with me, please? And I won't preach long. I've got a rather lengthy introduction because this is a series of sermons. When I say lengthy, it won't be long, long, just a a tad bit lengthy. And then I'll probably give you one point tonight. I think that's what's in my heart to do. And so I trust you'll pray for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, Paul says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and to live with you. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulations. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side, with outward fightings, with inward fears. Nevertheless, God that comforted those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me so that I rejoice the more. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceived that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might 
receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that you saw it after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things ye have reproved yourself to be clear in this matter. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did not, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. Therefore we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. For if I boasted anything to him of you, I am not ashamed. But as we speak all things to you in truth, even so our boasting which I made before Titus is found a truth. And his inward affection is more abundant toward you whilst he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling ye received him. I rejoice therefore that I have confidence in you in all things. You can be seated. I want to look at this chapter for a few moments tonight. And I want to look at this thought or think about this thought. A cure for a crushed heart. A cure for a crushed heart. It was 1866 when Charles Haddon Spurgeon shocked his then 5,000-member congregation, announcing from his pulpit, quote, I'm the subject of depression so fearful that I hope none of you ever gets to such extremes of wretchedness. Mr. Spurge is not alone in this predicament. I'm certain that all of God's men, yea, all of God's people find themselves singing the blues at times. John Henry Jowell, another great preacher who pastored the Fifth, Pres Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City, wrote to a friend in 1920. He said, quote, You can imagine, you can imagine that I have no ups and downs but a lofty level of stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken equanimity. By no means I'm often perfectly wretched and everything appears murky. It was written about Alexander White, one of Scotland's greatest preachers. It was said that often he had seasons of deep depression regarding the results of his work in the pulpit and among his people. In other words... Alexander White did not think he was too effective uh, in his pulpit ministry. He often doubted whether or not he was adequate to do the job that God had called him to do. Now the list of preachers and people could go on and on. 
Because I think none of God's people or none of God's preachers are exempt from going through difficult times. Just because we set our mind on things above does not mean that we won't sink every now and again. Depression, as one writer called it, is the common cold of the soul. Now, if you're like that tonight, or you've been like that in days gone by, I've got some wonderful news. You can take courage because you're in good company. And as I've been studying through 2 Corinthians, I find it to be the most fascinating uh, to me of all of Paul's letters. Because Paul is more transparent. Uh, Paul is more vulnerable in 2 Corinthians. Paul tells the church at Corinth and tells the church at Copper's Branch that there's a chink in his armor. There's a chink in his apostolic armor. He reveals his, he reveals at times his weaknesses. In fact, he says in chapter 1, I've got the sentence of death. Paul says, I don't think I can go on any further. Paul's at wit's end. And as we come to this chapter here, we find that Paul admits he's got the blues. He's, he's expressing himself in a manner of depression. Look at verse 6. The Bible said he uses these words, cast down. It's a word that means depression or discouragement or lacking in hope or mental gloominess or low in the ground. Amen. Paul's admitting that he's not in a good place mentally. Not only that, Paul says, I'm not in a good place physically. For Paul says in verse 5, I just can't rest. Amen. I'm fighting on the outside, but there's fears on the inside. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if there had been a pharmaceutical place of employment in those days, Paul would have went by that establishment and got him a pill to take because Paul is feeling anxious. Paul suffers from anxiety. Amen. Now as he writes this letter, uh, hear me, as he writes this letter to the Corinthians, he writes a severe letter. He talks about this severe letter. And as he writes this letter and sends this letter to the Corinthians, rebuking him for rebuking him for some reason, Paul replays this in his mind constantly. I think Paul, Brother Kevin, is second guessing uh, not necessarily the words he said, but maybe how stern he said these things to the church at Corinth. Have you ever been there before? I mean, have you ever on Sunday night pulled the covers up over you and then you get to thinking about how you preached on that Sunday morning preachers can I get a witness? And you think to yourself, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that. That was foolish. I wish I'd have said that differently. I wish I'd have said this instead. And all kinds of things flood your mind as you second guess what you told the church on that day. And then on Monday, it even gets worse. On Monday, as you wake up, the tempter sits on the, on the fifth of the bed and says, man, you've really messed up now. You, you made this statement. He magnifies a statement that you make, and before you leave the house on Monday morning, you think the church is going to go to pieces because of 
one thing that you said. Well, here's Paul. Paul fears that this letter that he wrote will drive an eternal wedge between the church and himself. Now, he's writing for a good cause. The enemy has came to the church at Corinth for the sole purpose of preaching a false gospel. Uh, for the sole purpose of uh, causing the church that Paul loved to lose confidence, uh, to lose uh, uh, lose that confidence in Paul's ministry, thereby ruining the work of Paul in the city of Corinth, driving an eternal wedge. And so concerned was Paul. He sends Titus to Corinth, to Macedonia, to find out the mood and feel what was taking place in the church, and then he and Titus were to come back to Troas for a rendezvous, and Titus would tell Paul the news of how that church received his message. Paul is, Paul is concerned, brothers and sisters, and here's what happens. He shows up. Paul meets that appointed place. Paul shows up, but Titus did not show up. Titus is late. Now we can almost see Paul standing by that appointed rendezvousing place. Or maybe watching the sun, knowing that it was such and such a clock by the sunlight. And he sees that Titus is not I come. There are no cell phones. There's no emails. There's no text messages. And so because Titus didn't show up, all that, that flood of emotion comes back to Paul's mind, thinking the worst about the church at Corinth, thinking no doubt that the church has been gone and taken over by false preaching and false doctrine, fearing something has happened to Titus. He, uh, Paul leaves Troas and comes to Macedonia. He, he's going looking for Titus, finding out whether Titus is dead or alive. And no doubt Paul prayed all the way to Macedonia asking God for good traveling mercy. And he's got the care and concern He's got good motives. He's got care. He's got concern. He's praying. He's a spiritual man. He's making his way to Macedonia. But when he gets there to Macedonia, the Bible tells us that he did not receive a warm welcome. For the Bible tells us that he had fightings. Now that refers to heated disputes with believers and non-believers. He's brought the fisticuffs and then there are those eternal, internal fears that someone might say, uh, preacher, what would Paul be fearing? Was he afraid of dying? Why no, Paul says that death is gain. What was it? Uh, was it incarceration? Why no, uh, Paul was often put in jail. Was it beating or stoning? No. Paul said, I glory in my afflictions. And so why was Paul so afraid? Paul was afraid that the church might be destroyed. In fact, he writes in Galatians 6, he says, he fears that he labors in vain. He writes the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 
3 and 5 when he says, I fear that the tempter might cause him and me to labor in vain. And so in Paul's mind was the care of the churches. In Paul's mind was the concern for the church. In Paul's mind were the converts. He witnessed himself come to know Jesus in his three-year work down at Cory. I wonder, I wonder exactly who that was. Brother Chris, I, I wonder, I wonder, could it have been those that he speaks about in 1 Corinthians 6, that fellowship of the exes, I call them. Those who had been saved by the mighty power and grace of God. Uh, those fornicators, those ex-fornicators, ex-adulterers, uh, ex-liars, ex-effeminates. Uh, and so Paul has those those babies in mind as he thinks about what might take place when those enemies had come in. Not only those, I'm convinced, Brother Kevin, he might be thinking about his fellow workers, Aquila and Priscilla, whom he met in an unemployment line as he reaches, leaves Athens and comes to Corinth. And there in that line of tent makers was Aquila and Priscilla. And it just so happened that God had saved them by his grace and God had put Paul in that place. And because God put those three people together, a mighty church erupted in the city of Corinth. And so as Paul's worried about it, said, what happened to my friends and my fellow workers, Aquila and Priscilla? Brother Eddie, I think maybe, just maybe, Paul is worried as he's trying to meet up with Titus. He might be worried about the household of Stephanus. He was his first fruits in Achaia. I can hear Paul uh, thinking out loud, saying, Why? What's happened to that house? They were so on fire for God. They addicted themselves to the ministry. But now Paul has worried about them, the body, the body of believers, uh, uh, the, the families, the individuals, uh, the babies, those he watched come to know Jesus Christ. And let me pause and say this as I stand before you running through my little small mind of that flock of people I preached to back in Leoma. The mamas and daddies, the little babies that come after Sunday sermons and Wednesday night sermons giving me a little cartoon they drew of me with uh, no hair on the top of my head, by the way. I mean, that the families I've seen uh, come to know Jesus, the ice cream man that got saved a few, a few months ago by the grace of God who sits in church every, every time the doors open. That man runs through my head thinking about what might take place if somebody comes and plants a false gospel in that fellowship. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot at stake here, isn't it? It's a matter of life and death. And so, let me give you two things very quickly before I move to my first point, all right? Number one, I ain't Paul. And I'm careful not to insert myself into the biblical text. And I'm well aware that Paul is facing things that I hope to, hopefully would never have to face. I know that. But secondly, there's some examples here for all of us preachers and for all of us people. 
What am I to do when my heart's been crushed? Here's my point. Remember, God's timing is always right. What hindered what, what Paul feared was not a reality. Titus showed up, not in that one place, but he finally meets Titus. We don't know what hindered Titus. The Bible doesn't say no doubt. He tells Paul what hindered him. But what, a, what amazes me about this text is that, that Paul knows all the Bible. He could, he, could, uh, he could quote the Old Testament. He knew the Psalms. He knew the prophets. He knew all about how God had spoke to the prophets and spoke through the Psalms and he knew all about the history of Israel. But for some reason, Brother McCord, that's not what's happening. That's not what Paul can need at that moment in time to help him. Hear me now. I mean, have you ever, has somebody ever told him, you know, independent fundamental primitive Baptists are the world's worst to giving you some good advice. Brother Eddie. I heard someone on the other day on the Facebook, they said, does anybody know a good biblical author on the subject of depression? And I knew it was coming. One of them said, you know, this book, another book. I, I, I was looking for it. I purposefully looked at the feet because I knew somewhere an independent, fundamental, premillennial Baptist was going to say it. KJB 1611. I want to reach to the, the computer and smack somebody and say, no, duh, Sherlock. Paul knew those verses. Paul knew what the Bible says. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Paul was a theological genius, but for some reason, his heart was not lifted from being crushed. And if you've lived any length of time, you know what I'm saying. I've, Brother Steve, I've made this statement, just keep on reading, just keep on reading. And people's told me, just read, just read the Bible. And that's wonderful we ought to read the Bible because it is God's book of life and rule for our lives. But for some reason, that ain't what helped Paul. I'm going to tell you what helped Paul. Listen to me. At times, your something may not be eased by simply reading. At times, your something will only be eased by someone. Because we are humans. In the human experience, therefore, we need some, we need God to send some human to us to remind us that we're not by ourselves. Isn't that right? I think that's right. I'd love to see the look on Paul's face as he finally sees Titus. And Titus is ducking and dodging down side roads and Macedonian Corinth and and Paul is looking for him. He's been beat up. He's had a few bouts of fisticuffs and I mean he's down there trying to find some help and hope and finally 
I can imagine now walking down some side road. There comes Titus, and Titus sees Paul, and Paul sees Titus, and their walk turns into a gate, and their gate turns into a run. And to do that customary Middle Eastern uh, holy kiss, they kiss each other on the sides of the cheek, and then they embrace. And I can hear Paul say, Titus, where have you been? I've been worried sick. I've been worried to death, Titus. And listen to me. But I, I think this. I think by him coming and seeing Titus, it's exactly what Paul needed for a shot in the arm. Amen. I'm a, I may run in just a minute. One of the great things about being a Christian is Christian. Brother Steve, one of the th great things about me being saved is you're saved. Brother Thacker, one of the glorious things about being a preacher is that you're a preacher. And when I read and read and read, and oh, we ought to keep reading the Bible, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you need some other human to come into your life. Amen. The fellowship of the brethren is a must to calm the fears in our lives. And that's why this meeting is so important. Man, I couldn't wait. I, I usually, uh, a couple of years ago, I, I would come to a meeting like this, and I was so nervous I'd about throw up. Well, now I come in here like, yeah, hallelujah. Get to see my brothers and sisters. Amen. And I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'll do all right in my preaching, but I know one thing. I'm gonna get to see Brother Philip, and his family's gonna bless me by sitting on the pew. And I know I'll get to see Brother Kevin and his dear wife and all the serving that's going on in this place. And I know I'll see Brother Steve, and I know I'll see the brethren in this church and Brother David Barnett who challenges me and threatens me oftentimes, uh, but it warms my heart to know he's in his place of service. Uh, I'm in my place of service. Uh, and when by reading the Bible doesn't lift my spirits, I can call my brothers. Isn't that right? I was reading. I was reading Kent Hughes' commentary on this and he tells a story of um, a woman by the name of Elisa who lost her child. And her godly friend Anna came to where she was. And Anna and Elisa knelt by the bedside, uh, beside the bed to pray. And Anna, the good godly friend, said to Elisa, she said, Elisa, pray that God would put his hand on your head. And so Elisa said, Lord, put your hand on my head. And about that time, Anna put her hand on Elisa's head. And uh, Elisa started shouting and said, He done it. I felt something go through my go through my body. And Anna said to Elisa, That was my hand. But Elisa said to Anna, But it was God's too. 
When God's people minister, it's just not them. It's God working through them. Everything I've got into my name has come because God channels what He gives me through God's people. Isn't that right? All the blessings of my life comes because somebody is being used of God to give me what I've got. And what's true for me is true for you. How many times has it been some preacher preach a sermon and you thought, man, they've been studying and they and God was reaching through them to minister to the saint. Brother Kevin, how many times has it been when you have ticked, what do you call that thing you do to me? Make that um, video, what do you call it? Marco Polo. Uh, Marco Polo, man. And I would see him talking and, and that lifts my spirit. Brother David calls me every Wednesday to uh, to talk about what we're going to preach on that day. And by the time I get off the phone with Brother David, I've had to change my sermon because I was wrong about what I was going to preach on. <laughs> he calls me a dummy and idiot a few times. <laughs> Brother Eddie, brother, you blessed the fire out of me. God as if he reaches through you and reaches into my heart. <laughs> oh, you know how we need each other. Those that preach the gospel, those that stand with the word of God, we need each other. It may be a preacher. It may be a Sunday school teacher. It may be a layman. It may be just a text message, but somebody reaches out to bless you. That's God. I, I I told a lie a while ago, but I, I'm going to give you one more. Remember, God's timing's always right. Y'all won't lose confidence in me, we. Number two, rejoice. This is very deep. I don't know if you can get it. Rejoice because good news is always good. Here it is, very quickly. Paul thinks the worst. I often think the worst. It's gonna, it's gonna fly apart. But what Paul found out was it's not what he thought. After their embrace, Titus says, uh, and Paul's waiting to hear the news, and Titus says, Well, Brother Paul, I got some pretty good news. They received me. Well, that was encouraging to Paul that they received Titus. But Paul wanted to hear more. And Paul says, but what else? Brother Ronald, he says, but what else? And Titus says, it ain't what you thought. They received you. In fact, I've called them down there reading your letter. And they was mourning. They was repenting. They were sorry. They were sorry they let these these devils come in and, and sway their heart. And, I, and I'm, just, I'm just thinking out loud now, Brother Kevin, I can imagine one said, 
I don't know why we did it, Paul. I remember what I was when God sent his man to Corinth walking those cobblestone paths of that metropolitan, cosmopolitan town. And that man of God preached to my soul. And because God sent that man, I got saved. Oh, God, forgive me for doubting that. Paul, it's not, it's not what you thought. How many times, Brother Philip, has that been me? I've thought, Lord, I've done it now. I said, and sometimes you may not believe this. I open my mouth and insert my foot. When I'm preaching, I've been no, I've had a tendency to look at somebody that's, I think, maybe doing some sideways stuff. And shoot at them when it ain't what I thought. I went home at night thinking, man, I hope I didn't run that family off. As Paul would say, I thought about tithing my sermon, sorry, but not sorry. And I thought, Lord, I, I don't know if I handled that correctly, but God lets a text message come in, and I reach over to the coffee, the table beside my bed, slip on my glasses. This has happened. And I look at the text message, and it'll be that person that I thought I hope I'd not offended incorrectly. You know what I'm saying. I look at the text message, and it'll say, Preacher, I want to thank you for preaching to my family today. <laughs> it's not what I thought can you see Paul in times as Paul hears it's not what you thought number three I'm going to give you one more point I'm done Gospel preaching always bears fruit. The truth always bears fruit. You can look through that chapter and see all the steps that they were taking to make things right. One after one, clearing and confessing, they were just one after one doing all of those things. You know what? I'm closing now. You know what I've learned, and maybe you're not like me, I think preachers are the same. There's been a few occasions when I thought like Alexander White, I am not adequate. I, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not doing this. I don't know if I can do this. And the Lord says, well, well first of all, you big dummy, you, you can't. But I've thought from time to time, I'm not adequate. But the fruit of preaching the Bible always comes up. I don't have to have a sugar stick. I don't have to. I don't have to have incense. As a preacher, I can just labor in this place. <laughs> I 
that, let me say this for the church. If you have a preacher that preaches this book, you ought to be concerned about his feelings because he's a basket case at times. There are attacks on his mental capabilities. <laughs> now, y'all don't look at me like I'm, you're looking like I need to go to the insane asylum. I'm sane. I ain't crazy. Just a little bit. Am I right, Brother Steve? And keep on caring for him. And keep on doing what you're doing because we need to keep on doing what we're doing. Don't let the devil mama tell you that what you're doing is not working. If you're doing what God says, just keep on doing it. Daddy, don't let the devil tell you you're not doing right. If you're doing what God says, keep on doing it. Preacher, Sunday school teacher, deacon, just keep on doing what you're doing. Because it always works in the end. Isn't that right? Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. For the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Pray, God, you'd apply it to our hearts. We'll be careful to give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.